Welcome to the Tackle HIV Talking Stigma podcast. I'm Gareth Thomas, and throughout this series, I'm talking to well-known guests about stigma and resilience. What it is, what it's like to experience it, how to overcome it, and what needs to be done to make stigma a thing of the past. Now, joining me today is a truly inspirational individual and someone who I'm very much looking forward to chatting to. It's former world champion swimmer, Mark Fozzy Foster, as I like to call him. <laughs> How are you doing, bud? You good? I'm doing very, very well, thank you. Fozzy. It's... People call me Foz, not the Fozzy. I like that. Fozzy. Oh, is, is that your nickname? In the... Well, the nickname's Foz, but uh, right. Fozzy's cool. Fozzy's better. I like that. Fozzy's better. We, we're good in Welsh. We give good nicknames. <laughs> so just to give a background on you and your career, you competed at the highest level for Great Britain at five different Olympics. You were at the World Championships and you also swam for England at the Commonwealth Games. Now, at the age of 15, you was the fastest swimmer in the country and you went on to win six World Championship titles, two Commonwealth titles and 11 European titles. Now, since then, you forged a, a really successful career as a commentator, TV personality, public speaker and charity campaigner. In 2017, you made the decision to come out, or as I like to say, to become authentic. And you've been a passionate speaker on behalf of the LGBTQ plus community, promoting compassion, equality, and inclusion. Now, today I'd like to chat to you about some of the challenges, similarities, and contrasts that you and I may have had over the years whilst we were still playing or competing. Um, and some of the public perceptions and barriers that we are both working to overcome. So the best place to start is at the beginning. I suppose growing up, um, swimming wasn't a sport really um, that I was, I was, I would give me the option to do swimming mm -hmm. in, in our school. So how did you get into swimming? Um, I'll cut a long story short, dad nearly drowned, petrified of water, determined myself and sisters would learn. That was a sort of motivation from his point of view. Uh, then I went along to my swimming club like most other people, went to learn to swim. You know, mm. everybody should have the opportunity to learn to swim. So it was just learning a vital life skill, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, I got in the pool, um, and I was just one of these. You know, I believe that human beings are very competitive. Whatever we do, we start wanting to win. We just accept along the way. Some people are better than us, and we're we're suited to certain things, and we enjoy certain things. I got in the water, and it just felt right. I felt good in the water. Uh, in my class, there was ten kids. And very, very quickly, it was evident that I was a lot better than them. And my swimming teacher, a lady called Mrs. Hardcastle, she said to me, why don't you go and join the club? Uh, and it just started from the age of six, starting in the, the shallow end of the pool in the, the bottom group, uh, working my way up to being the, in the elite squad. And it was all about personal pro progression. But the goal of trying to be in the what I called, back then the best squad was the black squad. And that was my motivation to get there. That was swimming for me in a nutshell. So... You must have had a real natural talent to at six start and then at 15. Come senior record holder, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that, 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 that's, I, I suppose in a way though, as, as a child growing up, because even at 15, you're still a kid. Yeah. Like, was that difficult to deal with that speed of growth? Um, I, I think what, what kept me grounded and one of the big, people always say to me, what's your biggest bit of advice? And it's surround yourself with people better than you. So 11 years of age was the fastest swimmer in the world for 11-year-olds because I won the age groups and I checked myself against the Americans, the Chinese, the Australian. Fastest 11-year-old in the world. But that's 11-year-old. That's not swimmer. Mm. Uh, and I went to Millfield School on the back of that. I got a scholarship. 
family couldn't afford to send me there, but the scholarship gave me this opportunity. And at Millfield School, which is down in Somerset, so a boarding school, I arrived there at uh, 13 years of age, and there were 16 and 18-year-olds on the national senior team that were way bigger than me, way stronger than me, way faster than me. Uh, and this is where I get to surround yourself with people better than you. Mm. These people were way better than me. So I used to watch the way they swam, the way they dived in, and probably most importantly, the way they, they, they behaved outside the pool. And their habits became my habits. And I, I quickly progressed, although I was very good. I progressed very quickly and at 15 national senior champions. So uh, uh, you'll probably know this because you're quite a tall guy. At 15, I was about six foot four. So oh, I, was, right. I was as tall as them. I just wasn't as strong as them. Yeah, yeah. And I got to 6'6 six, six and I stopped growing. So you know when you say of your theory there, if I don't understand, surround yourself with people who are better than you. Mm-hmm. What would you say to people who, or, you know, aspiring athletes or any people generally who don't like the thought of surrounding people who are better, better, than, them. better than them? Yeah, because <laughs> I think a lot of people want to be the best. True. So it's difficult to have that. I think, well, let's rephrase it. Surround yourself surround yourself with people, like-minded people. Right. People that have a common interest and a common goal. Therefore, you won't get, uh, it sounds wrong, in with the wrong crowd. We can all get in with the wrong crowd from time to time, whatever that crowd might be. But it's surround yourself with people around that, that have got the same interests. Yeah, right. Um, I found, and this is, you know, I found I got the best improvement when I had people better than me. Because you, 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 were, you were chasing yeah. As opposed to you were the one that was being shot at. Yeah. So for me, towards the end of my career, I went to train in Australia and America. I was world champion, but I went to train with the, with the Olympic champion because I, I wanted to be Olympic champion. Yeah. So I went to train with the best and he enjoyed it because every day became a competition where we just try and push each other that little bit faster. So when do you decide you want to become Olympic champion? Like, do you, is, is, it a, is it a success that you think <laughs> it's actually a realistic option now? That, okay, I want to become Olympic champion because I know I can become Olympic. Mate, I wanted to be Olympic 100 meter champion. There was never <laughs> any chance of <laughs> me doing it. it. <laughs> but I wanted to be. So I suppose at what age do you feel, actually, this is a goal that I want because I know this is a goal I can achieve? So uh, 11 years of age, um, 10 years of age, I watched the Olympic, the Olympic Games in Moscow on TV. And it was the first time I saw swimming on the telly. And I thought, I swim. Swimming's on the TV, so I connected with it. Mm. It was the Olympic Games which I kind of, you know, 10 years of age you've heard of, but you didn't understand. Yeah. You see all these sports, the best athletes in the world. And I saw a guy called Duncan Gucci with yeah. the Olympic gold, 100 breaststroke, right? Yeah. Remember him? Yeah, 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 I do. So saw him, Olympic Games. I was 10 years of age, but the most important thing was a year later, he did a, a, a swim along with Goodhue. He did a road show around the UK and went right. to various swimming clubs. And he turned up at my swimming club. So with 300 members of the swim club, he told us his story, how he went from learning to swim to becoming Olympic champion. He showed us his Olympic gold medal and we all touched him and went, oh, we want yeah. one of them. That's easy, yeah. right? We yeah, have one yeah, of them. Yeah. But the most important thing for me was he stood on the end of our pool and said, how many strokes did it take me to get from here to there? You know, we all guessed it was our big pool. Uh, true story. And it's breaststroke, it's a long stroke. But he dove in and it took him three strokes. And I just remember going, Wow. Uh, what's possible with the human body when you teach it to do something over and over again? If you obsess about doing something, how good you can become. Yeah. And at that point, I thought, I want to go to the Olympic Games. I want to be like Duncan Goodhue. I want to win that Olympic gold medal. But please let me keep my hair. That <laughs> <laughs> no, is a good mate. Even if it goes great. Even if it goes great. It went great very early. <laughs> Eau de Clory. So for me, it was that 10, 11 year age, seeing, seeing swimming on the TV, yeah. and then that experience of meeting Duncan Goodhue. But uh, I mean, like you, becoming a, a, becoming a Welsh rugby player. Yeah. At what point was that one of these things you just wanted to do as a kid? 
Uh, yeah, it was. But for me, it wasn't about what I wanted to do. It's about what I wanted to represent mm-hmm. um, and be a part of because I feel, you know, I know a lot of swimmers. I've got into swimming myself and I know a lot of swimmers. And swimming can be quite a lonely sport. Yeah. You know, your head is in the water. You're training at really inconvenient hours. Um, and it's a self-motivated mm-hmm. kind of thing. Now, for me, within rugby... Um, there was a lot of representation because rugby in Wales is very much, you know, I was born and raised in Bridgend. The heartbeat of the town was the rugby team. So I wanted to represent the one thing that everyone in the town knew about. And also I wanted to represent something that I could identify mm-hmm. with because of the struggles I was going through at the time of like understanding who I was. As if I have an identity yeah. every Saturday, then I know a part of yeah. of of who I was. I'm so Gareth and I play rugby. Yeah, That's me. yeah, and, yeah. and I represent you. Yeah, Re- uh, whoever you are. Yeah, you live in Bridgend, and it was like that one time where everyone would come together um, and want to win or and be successful together or understand the failure and co- and and kind of you know commiserate together. Mm-hmm. So it was it was that sense of not being on my own. Sense of finding uh, finding a tribe. Yeah, found your tribe. yeah, and I think that's the difference in in. I, I suppose the difference in us and difference in the in the people who decide they want to be in a part of a team sport because I would struggle individually to those who are like, okay, no, I want the the individual success or failure mm-hmm. that comes with you know putting my head putting my head in my in the water. So for me, it was like understanding that identity, but I had a fear going into it of what you know, my identity or finding my identity, how I would have to mask who I was. So then I suppose with you growing up within swimming, when I look at swimming, even now, Mm -hmm. I look at swimming and visually I don't find it a very diverse, Mm -hmm. a a very diverse sport. So at a young age maybe, or even when, say, at 15 or 16, did you think that, did did, did you ever question the... And ability to be authentic within within the pool. Um, I never questioned it. I think it's one of these things that um, I'm, I'm. What we, we had this conversation earlier. I'm four years older than you, so we're sort of we're a similar age, and we we grew up at a similar time, so to speak. Um, I kind of knew that I was, should we say, a little bit different, or not? Not normal is the wrong thing to say, but I kind of knew what my sexual preferences were a little bit early, but also was experimenting, so didn't really understand it. Yeah. Uh, in, 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 the, in the pool, I was Mark the Swimmer, and I put my head down in the water, and up and down, up and down I went. My identity, like you said about identity, I was just, that's Mark the Swimmer. Yeah. What I didn't understand was that from the playground to the changing room to the news to in the church, when I was told that being being myself, being well, being a gay man, uh, was I was always I always heard it was wrong. I kind of kept my head down, going, "Okay, well, don't show your true self." Then looking back, what I started doing was I I, I was the naughty boy. I used right. to play out, right? I was a prankster. I'd always get in trouble. I'd be constantly doing naughty things simply because I think subconsciously I used to say, "Well, the naughty kid can't be gay, right? He's yeah. naughty. He's a, he's he's a lad." Yeah. And that was my thing. Good at sport, first of all. Then you're naughty, you're a bit of a lad. No one would see the real you. It would just be a mask that I wore. So I never looked at swimming about not being able to be myself. I think I found a way of 
hiding a little bit because people automatically thought, well, if you're a swimmer, you're a sportsman, we, you, you can't be gay, yeah. first of all. And role models and people that I looked up to or people you associated with, they weren't there in sport. Mm. It was kind of like what you saw on TV and I was like, well, I'm not like them. So I'm I'm just I'm just me. I just keep my head down and no one will notice me. Yeah. Do, do you think that was a set was there a sense of motivation to be the best because you was hiding who you was? Because I know with me, I always knew, as you said, it's interesting I say it like I always knew I was different. I never say I knew I was gay. I always knew I was different because that's how I felt. I didn't feel gay, I just felt different to mm -hmm. everybody else. But I know one of my one of my huge motivations was if ever my differences found out, they can't help but hide the fact that I was good, mm -hmm. that I was good at my sport. So was a, was 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 part of your motivation for success at such a, such an age that realization that if ever my differences found out, my ability will hopefully outshine my difference. Yeah, probably, probably. I mean, the, the one the one thing I well. We could both hide behind the, the sports side and the masculinity behind what sport is, supposedly. Um, but touching the wall and looking up at the, the scoreboard. So seeing whether you were first, second or third, that gave me feedback how good I was. But as you say there, it's, yeah, if I keep winning races, I get picked for the team. So they yeah. can't keep me off the team, regardless of... They, I, they, they wouldn't have anyway. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they wouldn't have. But it was that. I think it was... It, for me, the driver was the fear of... Um, what people, whether that's your friends, whether that's your parents, whether that's uh, sponsors might think of you if you were that gay kid uh, or, or, or that difference. And what was that difference? It was, it was the unknown. Yeah. And we never liked stepping into the unknown because we were like, it was a little bit like we, we had a house of cards and we thought, well, if we, if we show our true selves, that house of cards might come down and then what? Uh, so it was like keep it all together at what sort of whatever cost. Yeah. So when you say you feel like it would have been a supportive environment, uh, I, I, do I, I, I? The thing is, I don't know. You don't know. Yeah. I don't know because I because I never tested the water. Do I wish I had done something earlier? Yeah. Times were different back then, man. Yeah. I think we can that, all say in hindsight. Yeah. Yeah, but all, you know, because I, I always say a story of people say to me constantly, you know, why. I, I, I don't know, actually. I'll ask that question first. Like, when people ask you the question, why didn't you come out sooner? I personally kind of feel it's not, it's not, it's, it's not an intrusive question, but also it's kind of a, a question based on a lack of, of fact of what, knowing what it was like mm -hmm. back then. People are kind of saying, well, in the world we live in now, what you did 20 years ago would have been okay. And it's kind of like saying, yeah, but I, what the world we lived in 20 years ago was completely different. Absolutely, yeah. To, 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 um, to what it is now. So what do, you, what, what do you say to people when I'm sure you get asked it, why didn't you, why didn't you come out sooner? Uh, I think it was, it was literally that, fear of, fear of, I'm going to say rejection. Yeah. What people might, and that's even down to your, and you'll get this again, when you were on the team, you shared with different people. Yeah. Now, would people want to share with you? What would your mates think of you? Although we all know now, we kind of go, someone once said to me, the people that love you will always love you. And then those that don't, or were never your friends anyway, we're never your friends. What, what does it matter? But it's easy, someone from the outside saying that, but when yeah. it's you and it's your the life you lead and the fears you've got, it's very difficult sifting through that and working out what the right thing to do is. Yeah. So I was worried about people people not wanting to show me. I was worried about potentially, and we all know kids can be cruel, Yeah. what people might say, whether it's to your face or behind your back. 
Um, so I think the whole thing was standing on the block. My identity just became, do you know what? Get in the pool, just work hard, win medals. And then as you say there, no one can take anything away from you. Yeah. If it did come out, if it was found out. Yeah. I mean, my story is slightly different to yours where we went off in relationships, but you know, I met someone fell in love, so to speak. And then I had Mark's Mark, the person, the home life here, and then Mark, the swimmer over here. And I was like, but I had to then make sure that these two worlds never met. Yeah, right. Because it was like, that must be difficult, man. Yeah, yeah. You, you end up leaving, leading a, a secret life, two separate lives. So I'd come up with to all the swimmers, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to go and see a very close friend of mine's wife, Catherine. I was I was close friends with them, so I knew enough about her. Yeah. So she'd become my beard, yeah, my, my fictitious girlfriend. Yeah. That I'd say, going to go and see Catherine for the weekend. We're going off here. We're doing this. With da 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 da. I could just make it up. Then, but these two worlds would never meet. So they'd never find out. Yeah. Yeah. So there was, there was a fear there that it might find out, but I was always quite confident that I kept them so far enough apart that they wouldn't find out. That must have impacted your mind. I think the thing is, you don't realise, well, I never realised how much it was impacting at the time. Yeah. Was I a tortured soul? Nah. I'm not going to say I was a tortured soul, and I'm yeah. not going to say I went down some deep holes because I didn't. I've got a stupidly optimistic outlook on life, and I don't know where it comes from because my mum's completely the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to say my mum's exactly the same. Man. <laughs> <laughs> no, she'll kill me. No, she's, she's, she's glass, half, glass half empty, I'm glass half full. But it's kind of like, um, I don't know, I always kind of like, I'm optimistic about stuff and the way things are. But but then you you could have gone and looked and then gone, okay, well, if you're optimistic, why don't you just come out? Yeah. I've been optimistic about what people might have thought about you. But I don't know, I think, I think that little secret, the first lie you tell becomes the foundation for more lies and these lies just mount up yeah. the story mounts up and you're like and this is the, this is the beauty about when I when I when I did tell my coach who was the first person I told well sorry first time my mum my sister who I was closest to and then my mum uh then my then my coach but it was interesting I, I, but I couldn't figure it out or see it then that when I did tell certain people just a little bit more of a layer came off in yeah. terms of just felt more relaxed and more me. Yeah. But I never saw it at the time because I was like, oh no, can't just but but keep everybody else away. Yeah. It was sort of like I, it was telling the truth but not telling the full truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, the great saying of the truth will set you free is is so true. As yeah, you say of course. About being yourself, but yeah. it's very difficult when someone's going through something to just go, just 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 say it. Yeah. Was there any um, was there any kind of examples of behaviour? that justified you not telling anyone? I, I, when I say that, I mean, for instance, with um, rugby. Mm -hmm. um, when I was growing up and playing, um, most of rugby training is is kind of analysing the team you're about to play. Yeah. And most of that analysis would be finding weaknesses in the other team. Mm -hmm. And we would constantly sit in rugby changing rooms watching the, the team you're about to play that weekend. And they would constantly be... Okay, let's attack this guy. He can't tackle. Look at him trying to tackle. He tackles like he's bent. Yeah. Or, you know, like kick the ball at this guy because he can't catch. He's a faggot. Like yeah. I know these are horrible words, but these yeah. are words you... And I remember like these this type of language being used. And first of all, thinking to myself, Oof, I thought I was gay. I can't be gay because I can run. I can't be gay because I can tackle. I can catch. I can catch. <laughs> so it, it, it's, I struggled with yeah. my identity on that. But also yeah. I remember another experience that kind of pushed me further back was I played with the, in rugby um, in, a, in a team with the second black man to play for Wales, Glenn Webb. 
And he was a really physically strong, but also mentally strong character. Mm-hmm. And I remember playing one game, and I can't remember the noise, but there was like a noise going on throughout the 80 minutes, right? And I didn't know what the noise was. We came off half time, and then we went back on half time. And I remember running and seeing a banana mm-hmm. on the field. And I thought, oh, they've come on half time with the bananas, and somebody's like, you know. Quickly ate it. And yeah, just, yeah, I just the floor. tossed it. So then I was sitting next to Glenn at the end at the end of the game, sitting in the change rooms. He rolled his socks down, and about three or four bananas came out. And I was like, Glenn, like you know, that's that's taking kind of you know keeping your energy levels up to another level. Like I, I've never heard of anything so professional. He was like, Oh, didn't you see or hear what was happening? I was like, No, what? So for eighty minutes, they monkey chanted Glenn, uh. and they were throwing bananas at him. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, Right, during the whole week, we're doing this analysis, faggot, bent, all these horrible anecdotes coming out and if a if a man like Glenn who can't hide mm-hmm. the fact no. that he's black and yeah. I can hide the fact that I'm gay if he has to not only go through this but is a, it, it's allowed mm-hmm. to happen mm-hmm. then I can never speak about yeah. my sexuality because I was a young 17 year old kid mm-hmm. you know I mentally you were like, I wouldn't be able, I I wouldn't I be able to be deal able with, to it. Cope with it yeah. so did you find you had experiences like that outside the pool that affected you just because of people's kind of like unconscious bias, not knowing that you're gay. Yeah, the, lang- the language yeah. That's, used, that's used around you uh, was assuming a homophobic place. No. Right. Uh, well, is it, well, it was, I think everywhere was homophobic, everywhere was racist to begin yeah. with. Yeah. And then slowly worlds become a little bit more educated, people become more aware of the use of language uh, and that it's wrong. Um, but early doors, that's what I say from the playground to the, to, the, to church, to TV and the press, the whole message all I ever heard was, uh, you know, badness to yeah. be to, to being to ultimately who you, who you were. So uh, that that was kept pushing it away. Uh, friends, when they were on the team, if you used as you said, oh, don't be such a faggot. Yeah, I'd have used it at some yeah. point. I know I would have. Yeah, you know, and it's sort of like one of these things that the language you hear uh, is 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 very destructive. Not just for what's well, destructive for everybody, but it's but it's all right until someone becomes aware and do things change around my mates now that know me? Yeah, they're different. The yeah. language they use is different, yeah. but it wasn't until I they they knew about me. And yeah. then all of a sudden they go, all right, we have to change the way that we not just the way they see the world, but the way the language they use. Yeah. So 2017, then, yeah, when you made the decision, yeah, um, to speak publicly about your authenticity like why why then why then yeah why then um i I retired in 2008 yeah um so when i was a swimmer from within the swim world the people that knew a coach at one point right became a bit of an ally so someone i could talk to that if things weren't right at home or my performances weren't good why Mm. so i could have an open conversation with him uh i I have two of the two of the swim members on the team i told because on one occasion, and you'll probably relate to this, uh, 30 years of age, I was training in Hamburg, and uh, on a night out, a mate of mine, Neil, was seeing this girl, Therese, from Sweden. She, we trained together, the three of us trained together. And we were out in a club, had a few drinks, and I was dancing with her quite seductively because she was getting hit on by a load of people. Uh. My mate, Neil, sat on the bar stool, folding his arms, and I went over and went, what's wrong with you? And he said, what the are you doing uh, which I then went oh you got of course and this is only because I was drunk yeah I went you've got no worries because I'm gay yeah and the words came out and I kind of went oh in my head but it was actually one of the best things I did because all of a sudden now when I trained with Neil and Therese became very very we 
good mates, they were a couple, it meant my other half could come over every now and again. And that kind uh, of, the, nice. t- the two worlds met a bit and it made yeah. things a little bit easier. Um, but why 2017? Simply because I read things from around the world that people are still murdered for being gay. Yeah. Uh, I see stuff in the press and the paper and on social media about gay bashing still, people that get abused for being gay, yeah. lesbian, or, or different. Well, it can just be differences. It can be the colour of your skin. It can be, there's lots of diversities. And I, and I just thought, well, I wasn't a tortured soul. That's never happened to me. But there might be... I never had a role model growing up. Some of that I felt I was like. Yeah. So I thought, well, if I put myself out there and strength in numbers, so to speak, um, there might be some kid in another part of the world where he can't be himself, but he'll take a little bit of strength from it. There might be someone in the UK, whether it be a swimmer, whether it be just someone in general that's like, okay, I'm, I'm like them, so they feel a little bit more normal, a little bit more accepted, a little bit of, gives them a little bit of strength to be themselves. Yeah. Then I thought, well, why can't I do something? You, uh, you'd come out, Tom Daly had come out. I mean, I wasn't still a competing athlete. Yeah. So I just thought, look, what is your problem? Yeah. And it was one of those, those things, as I say, that once the words had come out and you'd said it, um, it was another layer just being peeled off and just a lot more relief. And going back to why didn't I do it sooner? What? I suppose, what was you like 24 hours before the announcement? And how did you, because <laughs> like, I remember with me, like how did you kind of, because you go through this whole kind of planning process. Now what I did was I totally handed it over because I knew that I'm going to bail. Like if you give me the chance to do this, I know last minute I'm going to bail and I'm not going to do it. So I kind of put it in other people's hands who I trusted but even up until the moment, you know, that it was li- that like lying in bed on midnight the night, knowing that mm-hmm. the newspaper is going to be on there, I, I wished I could have pulled, pulled the plug. It. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was just like, I don't know what I'm going into here. This has never been done before. You know, um, at the time I was still competing. I want to still be able to play rugby. Am I going to be able to play rugby? So I think kind of the, if you could talk us through the process, you did it. And I suppose the fear, um, the fear of, I don't know, maybe being defined all of a sudden by your sexuality, mm. whereas all, or before you've been defined by this, you know, one of Britain's greatest ever swimmers. Yeah, yeah. before it was like Mark the Swimmer, and all yeah. of a sudden it's going, oh, you're Mark the Gay. It's yeah. Like, well, no, no, I'm no different. I'm still the same person. Um, I, I, I probably another reason why it took so long, and I didn't I didn't touch on it, but in, 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 in the swimming world, it's a minority sport. It's not football. It's not rugby. You know, it's not in the public eye very often. It's in the public eye once every four years. So there wasn't that much... Uh, Focus. There wasn't that much press about swimming unless it was once every four years. Um, so from out from out my swimming career, I could kind of I was known as the the punk up start with a I had a tattoo, I had an earring, and all this when I was younger. Again, part of my mask, so yeah, to speak. Yeah. Um, so when I finished from swimming, I went and did Strictly Come Dancing. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it was okay if you do Strictly, you're fair game. So at home, I had a couple of people doorstop me at the house. Uh, the news of the world and the sun came to the door, yeah. basically wanted to find out about me, about my sexuality, who yeah. I was, who I was sleeping with. And it became a little bit of an obsession. So one of those things, my greatest fears was all of a sudden, oh, hang on, someone's going to out me and it's not even going to be my choice. And mm. what's the fascination of my sexuality? So it pushed me back in a little bit more. Then at one point, someone that was writing for the Daily Mail was going to do a, a out of me story again, which got pushed back by... Uh, agent at the time was a guy called Stuart Higgins, used to be editor of The Sun. He pushed them back. Uh, so all these little things were coming, and I kept going, you know, why are you nudging me? Why are you pushing me? It's got to be on my own terms. Yeah. Uh, and you probably, you won't remember this, but 2016, uh, I worked in the Olympic Games in Rio, and I was working with 
uh, Becky Adlington, yeah. who's you know obviously swam with me, and she's my yeah. she calls me my TV husband, my yeah. TV wife. Yeah, we were working together, and we were with um, Helen Skelton. Okay, yeah. So the three of us were working yeah. together, and it became an obsession with the Daily Mail that me and Rebecca Adlington were sleeping with each other. Oh. But I think the obsession was not that. The obsession was if we push hard enough, he'll come out. Yeah, because I think they kind of knew. Yeah. But it was, but then this whole thing was, and I just, I got to the point of just going, well, I just, I need to take control and I need to do something about this. My, my biggest mistake was I was doing November when it happened. So, <laughs> so I've got, and I, I don't grow facial hair. Oh, another member of the village people. <laughs> I had a moustache when I did my coming out picture. Yeah, yeah. So that was a bit of a classic. That wasn't well thought out. You said you planned it. I, there was no planning there. Oh my word! So yeah, and then so I did, did, it, did it with the Guardian. And yeah, it was kind of like very. Um, I was going to say it was it was soft, it was gentle, but it was it was what it should have, should have been. And I think I still find it amazing this complete obsession about uh, people coming out, and it's a yeah. it's a big deal. It's a big deal to the individual to to. to uh, be themselves and accept their sexuality, but why is it a big deal to everybody else? Yeah. But I've done a talk with several big companies where on a several occasions there was one lady from Holland for argument's sake that went, why 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 did gay people or you know people um LGBT plus people why why do they need to come out? Yeah. And I you know and I said to her, Well look, do you once you she goes, I don't have to come out to be heterosexual. And I said, yes, but when you are yourself and you do put yourself out there, are you abused? Are you taking the piss out of the jokes about you? And yeah. she went, well, no. And I went, well, that's the reason why people have to come out. The yeah. whole coming out thing is a term around people basically putting themselves out there to yeah. be, well, I was like ridiculed, but uh, yeah. What about comebacks? Was there any negative comebacks from... Um, the swimming world or no it was all no. good it was all good I think at this point I've been 47 years of age I've retired for 11 years did a lot of people come to you and say we knew we knew yeah mate yeah. this is it was like <laughs> Alfie we always knew I'm like well if you knew why did you say anything why did you say anything yeah but I guess the, 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 the nice thing is there that they had the respect to say yeah not, yeah. it's your term you tell us when you need to absolutely 100% one hundred percent. So is that what is that what you found from a lot of your all my yeah all my mates? Well, I mean to be fair, as I mentioned earlier on, uh, when I swam there were two, and then when after I after I retired from swimming there was a couple more. So slowly, personally, private life, a few more people I let in. Yeah, but it was just you know. But again, I'm, I wasn't a football. There was no obsession about about some swimmer that just finished a swimming career. Yeah. So I wasn't that in the public eye. So it was easy. It was easier just to hide away from something. So do you feel things have changed now? A little. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll because I I know I, I, every time I watch a well, in fact every time I watch anything, I always look at it through a lens of wanting to see a sense of equality, like a sense mm -hmm. of diversity. And I don't know, just every time I still look at swimming or, you know, talk of swimmers, I, I mean, I'm fascinated by swimming because they're, they're like the ultimate athletes. Mm. I, 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 I still kind of never see a sense of, you know, varied representation. When you say in, representation, in you, you, I, I, obviously I, May film, are you, are you thinking more I, black? I'm kind of thinking of it, thinking of like openly, openly uh, gay swimmers, people, people who, who speak about... Um, kind of the the challenges within um, within swimming. Um, I'm talking about people's sexuality. I'm kind of talking like I, I think it, to me it seems like a a very very much like a white dominated heterosexual sport. Yeah, I suppose that, that's that's 
someone from the outside looking in. Yeah, yeah. And I think when you when you get deeper below the surface, yeah, historically, it's it's a very white sport. But then I I always maintain, and I still maintain now that uh, black athletes are better sports people. Whether you see it on the running track or basketball or football or whatever it might be, so there's there's been a couple of Olympic champions and world champion swimmers that are black. Yeah. Well, and that comes from not a lot of people that black people that do swim. They're better right. athletes. Yeah. I think they'd start dominating the sport if they were. Yeah. Um, but but it's one of those things like I guess role models for, for black people, the role models are footballers or basketball players or American football players or athletes. They're not they're not swimmers. Yeah. So they don't have a history within the sport. Uh, to, to touch on the 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 visibility around being gay, etc., I think part of the reason why you don't see it is because I'm not saying it's there and it's everywhere, yeah. but there'll, there'll be some open gay, lesbian swimmers within, within, within swimming, definitely. Yeah. But because swimming's not that visible. Yeah. The sport itself's not that visible. So there's not the TV coverage. There's not the radio coverage. You're not going to hear those stories because there's not the interest. Yeah, not the like, interest of those people, but there's not the interest in the sport. Yeah, like, like one or two big... The USPs and outside of that, you don't really... The names you know, world swimming will be someone like Michael Phelps, who's obviously retired now, but um, Ian Thorpe, uh, retired a long time ago. But the names you'll know currently competing now, Adam Peaty yeah. from the UK, uh, maybe Duncan Scott, yeah. Tom Dean. But if you take three or four names you know, well, they might all be straight. Yeah. So there won't be any stories there anyway. Yeah. So you're not going to hear from the other couple that might be on the team that might be gay. Yeah. Because we don't want to speak to them because they're not the big names yeah so post post like swimming career now this is something interesting that I picked up do you remember a swimmer called Daniel Kowalski yes yeah so Daniel Kowalski is Australian mm-hmm. or uh, and he's openly gay yep. yeah so I remember he rung me many years ago before he came out and um, he wanted to speak openly um, about his sexuality, but was afraid of doing so. And I had quite a few long conversations with him. And I, I know now post-career, you do... Um, and this is... This, I, I feel this is something really important to talk about, and I don't think we should skirt the subject, right? Um, he was very much afraid because he wanted to go into coaching and stuff after. Now, within swimming, and I think within being gay, there's a lot of connection between being gay and being sexually promiscuous mm-hmm. or, you know, being sexually active around every, 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 yeah, yeah, every other yeah, person. Yeah, yeah. And I know you do like academies and things like that. And like, do you, does that still have, do you feel like that still has an effect? Is that still kind of people's perceptions that because you're wearing a pair of bathers, I don't want to go in the pool with him because I'm wearing a pair of bathers and he can see me in a pair of bathers. Yeah, or yeah. I don't want my son or my daughter to be in a swimming pool. I haven't like, noticed that. I've got a swim academy and I've done it now for 10 years. Yeah. Uh, and every every so basically two weeks a year I do a road show a bit like Duncan Gucci did with me years yeah. ago so I go around the country different parts of the country and take 60, 70 kids a day over a week and do it twice a year so that's probably I think we've had about 5,000 kids come through but I've, I've never known it it's never something that's been brought up it's never been an issue uh, I get in the pool I do the demonstrating um, I do the talks in the club that's never been an issue I've never uh. heard I've never heard anything mentioned whatsoever so i as far as I know, none. Yeah, because I think that's interesting on that because I think what we do, especially with the um, this kind of podcast series, is we we try to talk about and understand stigma. Mm-hmm. And I think what I find interesting about what you've just said is sometimes historical stigma yeah. can just stay there but is never really active. Mm-hmm. We can assume nothing has been done about it and we assume 
people think in this stigmatized way. Yeah. When actually that stigma might have gone might have gone without us needing to address it mm-hmm. and needed to challenge it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a really important part to make. So I think on a on a on a kind of a wider scope of sport in general, I think we spoke about swimming, we spoke about rugby. Um, why do you? I don't know. Why do you feel that in a such what I feel is a starting to progress, especially like people's perceptions of sports people, thanks to people like you, Tom Daly, as we spoke about, other, and other professional sports people. Um, what's your perception of of sport in general and the ability to be authentic in sport? Do you feel like it's still kind of a taboo that's difficult for people? I think there's, I think there's still a, there's definitely still a stigma there, but it's not as bad as I mean I'm still not, I'm not in the sport anymore yeah. you know 14 years departed although I've still got a swim academy I'm not I'm not I'm not there at gr- grassroots level I'm not a coach I'm not still involved in sport uh. um, in that sense but I think it's definitely shifted and definitely changed I think it's still got a way to go um, I, 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 I like to think in human kindness but there's also you know love and hate are two big energies and I think if you come from love you'll accept everything and anything and uh, if you come from hate You'll hate anything and everything. Uh, uh, but I do find it fascinating when you are, so for argument's sake, uh, people that know me that might have been slightly homophobic, once I came out or once they knew about me, or oh, this might be you know, a friend, Dave, whose son's come out as gay and they might know Dave and they'll go, oh, well, what I'm saying is here, because because I'm gay, my friends go, oh, being gay must be all right then, because Mark's all right. Yeah. So you, you, you. But, but I think as we go on through life, the more visibility that there is, and more uh, connection there are with people with, with with other families and other people that are not just gay, but with diversity, whatever that diversity is. Yeah. I, I, I believe in human beings that, that that acceptance and that that love slowly comes. Do you slowly, just, slowly. Do you feel like you've had to have to get to this point now? Do you feel you've had to really show a lot of resilience, not just in sport, but in just being able to cope with everything, everything apart from from being unauthentic to then the fear of being authentic and what and the potential pitfalls that come with being authentic? Like, do you feel you've had to show a probably more resilience, either more resilience out of the pool than in the pool to become yeah, like I, the best I, in the world? But, but um, I suppose. Before anyone knew anything, they didn't know anything. And once people are aware of of, of anything, not just about your sexuality, but you know, once once we're aware of something, we then have a choice. But also, once we are aware ourselves that other people know about us, are you then, depending on what mindset you are, I don't overthink things very much, which right. is probably to my strength. As in, I don't worry to. Well, I did when I was competing, but I don't overly overly analyse what other people might think. Yeah. So for you, for argument's sake, when you did come out or you came out as having HIV, you know, were you aware that going to different places of what people might have been thinking? Well, actually, they probably weren't. Well, you, yeah. you were kind of, am I being judged? Am I this? Am I that? Yeah. What's going on? It's, it's an interesting one for me. And not so much around the sexuality because I think, I think the sexuality and people's sexuality in general is more of a common topic that people find they're able to deal with 
um, because it's more common. Mm -hmm. So within maybe, you know, two or three degrees of separation of that person, you can probably find a connection of somebody who's gay. Therefore, you know that person, like you said, if you know someone mm -hmm. who's gay and they break a certain stereotype, or even if they are a certain stereotype, it's, it's kind of acceptable. You yeah. can deal with it. But I think with the HIV, what was so different about that was that all of a sudden you're talking, you know, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 degrees of separation away from someone. Therefore, not many people have the knowledge or the understanding of what living with HIV um, is or was even. So what I found, you know, when I was, when I spoke about my sexuality is a lot, lot, lot more people were supportive. Mm -hmm. And also they realized, you know, that, this isn't something that I can catch, you know? So I don't have to, if I'm in the same room as him, then I'm I'm not going to catch being gay yeah. because I know that. Yeah. Whereas I think the lack of understanding around HIV meant that whenever I walked into a room, mm -hmm. I was made to feel really vulnerable. Mm. You know, well. when I, if I walked into, especially at the start, um, because I know when I spoke to Terence Higgins Trust, when I spoke about my HIV, it became such a kind of reported story that they did kind of this this stat and it was something like 78% of people in the UK mm. knew I was HIV positive. So this very, very private information mm. had become very public knowledge and that knowledge had the power to hurt me because that knowledge made me vulnerable. Yep. So if I walked into, you know, uh, like at the start, I remember me and Steve walked into a restaurant and, oh no, we were in a restaurant and people were brought in and we because we had to leave our table. Mm -hmm. And when they were brought in, they kind of stood. And people can be very discriminative. And it's very obvious sometimes to me, to the person who they'd be discriminated against. Yeah. And they asked for a different table. They didn't want our table. Because they I, presume they thought they, they might have catch it. They, they might were, catch it if you've yeah. sitting on it. And I've been, you know, I've come out of a toilet. And people have been standing in the queue to go into the toilet. And, and then they won't go to they, they won't go to the toilet. They'll walk away because because there's so many of these historical myths mm. in in ways that people still believe you could transmit HIV. Mm -hmm. So that to me was that to me was a, became a lot more of a difficult thing for me to live with because of other people's perceptions. And yeah. as much as I try, and I think we both try to, you know, like we, where you said, is that you take control. Is you know what I want to talk about my sexuality because. I don't want other people to talk about it. I want to be in control of my story. Mm -hmm. And because I became, I was in control of my story, but I wasn't in control of what other people thought or thought they knew about my story. So that's then why um, tack, we set up Tackle because uh, we realized and we'd educated enough to know that science and medicine are so advanced that I take one tablet a day. Um, therefore, um, um, the CD4 count um, in, in my body, mm -hmm. um, like the HIV in my body is undetectable, which means it's untransmissible through sexual contact. Yeah. Um, but we needed to educate people. I was like, people, I didn't know that. On that, yeah. 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 So, so, so basically, I take one tablet a day mm -hmm. um, and I cannot transmit um, HIV through sexual contact. But mm -hmm. so, so many of my friends... Which I, that, that can't be true. Like, I kind of refuse, I refuse to believe that. Um, so I had to become kind of this living example. And, 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 and it, again, it's trying to say to people, kind of, 
unthink all your thoughts mm-hmm. because it's kind of sad that science and medicine has advanced so much yet it's kind of been done at an underground level mm. you know if this was another ailment another virus um something else that's quite commonplace in society that we would be willing to speak about then it'd be celebrated way mm-hmm. more than it is mm-hmm. um is that because, because we go back to the, i don't know the 80s or whatever when aids came around that it was all paper sensationalizing it first of all what yeah. is this thing it's death and then it was a way of having a go at the gay community so now when there is when things are different and you can live differently it's like oh that, we, we won't bother about, yeah, well, bother about uh, that you know they, they it was the gay plague at one point you know it was um, a death sentence mm-hmm. um, so it was very much targeted at a community and that you know that's the kind of thing now is is that's people's beliefs still though. yeah people's beliefs still people are like okay it can only you can uh, HIV can only be contracted by gay male gay gay men gay bisexual men or black africans black african men or women mm-hmm. you know and and i know global globally 54 so that's over half of the people living with HIV globally are female and i know well, in in yeah I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, yeah in, in, in in england there were more new cases of HIV in 2020 in heterosexual people than in gay and bisexual men. That was the, for the first time in a decade. So, you know, this, this, is a, this is a virus that anyone can mm. contract, absolutely anyone, yet kind of the stigma that's around it People's belief systems are still it's got your Yeah, and, and and people don't test. So like you know, you you speak to I don't know so many of my mates who um, who are single and will happily sleep around mm-hmm. would never consider having a sexual health test because they're straight. So they don't believe that they're at risk of contracting uh, HIV, and I think that's why the campaign and having conversations around other people's forms of stigma is to get people to realize that like stigma is a barrier. Mm-hmm. Stigma is the barrier to stopping getting tested um, or stopping knowing your, um, your results because. Yes. Cause you, cause you're one of your mates will be like, well, I'm not going to go for yeah. an HIV test because then people will think I'm gay. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's that as well. There's that massively. Um, and, 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 fe- and women, you know, females not wanting to go for a test because, you know, they feel that they're not of a category or a characteristic where it could possibly happen to them. Mm. So they just, you know, they just don't bother. They kind of, you know, they just get on with it. Yeah. Just, just, get, just get on with life. And that, because so many people think, and I, and I know you talk about now kind of post-career, you talk about your experiences to help other people. And I think that's what this is, is around the Tackle campaign is... It kind of helps me. It's quite quite cathartic for mm-hmm. me, but it's more about helping other people kind of to un- to understand. Yeah, so you know when education. you do your you, you know when you do your academies. Yeah. Like, do you purely focus on swimming, or do you just broaden it a bit to be kind of a a, a, a li- bit of a life experience as well, a bit of maybe creating a safe space for other people? It, it's so we do a, a two hour pool session, two hour land session. Um, and then two hours in the classroom. So that can be anything from uh, my life to being my life for summer down to dealing with nerves, uh, nutrition, uh. mindset, visualization. But yeah, a, 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 a lifestyle thing. 
you know, and, and, and also we have just not just the kids in there that which are nine to seventeen. We also mm. have the parents in there. So it's one of those th- it's one of those one of those places where parents can come along and, and, and ask a question, not just of us, but well, I've got a team of people that are there with me as well. So, but yeah, it's a very much open discussion. Yeah, and do you find that that's welcomed not just by the kids, but I suppose more importantly by the adults who are of a generation where that could have, you know, potentially was never a talking point when they were that age. Yeah. 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 I, think, I think definitely it's definitely, it's definitely helped. Yeah. Well, I mean, I do a lot of talk. I go into a lot of companies and, and talk around, all right, mindset, life in sport, my story of, you know, my, my, my story performance-wise, but also uh, I, I believe, and, I, and, I've, and I've seen this a lot, which is when you, when you open up and you're vulnerable about something, you also realise that other people have got stuff going on. Mm. And that might not be their sexuality. It might not be that they've got HIV. Yeah. It might, but they've got something going on. That actually, when you are open to start a conversation, it's interesting what conversation comes back and where that conversation leads. Yeah, yeah. So what would be your... For people listening to this, I think we always kind of try to end mm-hmm. on something that is not so much a summary, but a kind of takeaway. You know, a kind of... Maybe like a life lesson that if you could turn back time, you would have kind of told your younger self kind of thing or what what would be that? Someone sitting here would be a very simple takeaway for them to allow them to fulfill their potential in whatever field they're in. Um, I mean, I, I mentioned earlier, I wish I'd have come out earlier. Now, it's easy for me to say that in hindsight. We can all say things in hindsight. Yeah. Um, but... To get the best out of yourself, performance-wise, whether that's in a sporting context or in a business context, it's if you can take your, your whole self to work, your true self to work, and not be afraid of being who you are, yeah. then that generally reflects in... I used to, whenever I did interviews, whenever I was having conversations with people on the team, and you'll get this, I used to have this other story going on in the back of my head. And our brain can compute an awful lot of things at the same time, obviously. But I was always making sure I never trip myself up, and that's tiring. I yeah. never, I, I didn't notice it being tiring at the time. Uh. But it's tiring if you're constantly doing that day in and day out. Now, if you're taking yourself to work, like I say, whether it's whether it's in sport or whether it's in the workplace, having to not not being yourself and not just having to say what's in your mind or concentrate on the job in hand, um, surely that has to affect your performance. And also, that surely has to affect the way that you, the way you are. So you could have been better, is what I suppose you're saying. Could well, it? there's a there's a very good friend of mine in, in America called Peter Evans, and he's a bit of a uh, I call him a, I call him a, a psychologist guru, whatever you want to call him. Uh, and he said to me, "Now, I, I'm not saying this could ever have happened, and I'm not saying he had a premonition, but he said if you if you you were a, you you never won the Olympics because you were afraid to step into the spotlight. He said you were you were afraid of people seeing the real you. Wow. And I kind of go. That makes sense, but yeah. I'm not saying I would have won the Olympics. Yeah. I, I was always about I was the best that I could be. Yeah, went to five Olympics, never won the Olympics, but won the world six times. But we all know the power of the mind, right? Yeah. So, in order as an athlete, what you do is you train over and over and over again, so that you're eventually your mind gets out of the way and your body just does what yeah. you taught it to do. But if your mind's constantly like uh, 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 processing stuff, you never yeah. get the best of yourself. That's a brilliant way to round it off. Um, I think that's great advice. Because um, for us here at, at Tackle HIV, it's all about education. That's what's key. So um, 
We've got a website, tacklehiv.org. Um, also, people can go to the Terence Higgins Trust website or they can follow us also at tacklehiv on social media. We're all about educating ourselves. Well, have people having the ability to educate themselves and others about HIV so that you treat people living with HIV the same way that you would treat others. 